Welcome into Lockdown Blackhawks for Friday, December 13th, 2019. Jay Zawoski with you here. I am coming to you from a hotel room in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I just spent my birthday watching the Blackhawks get it handed to them by the Arizona Coyotes, 5-2. Of course, we're going to break down the loss. First, want to tell you how to get in touch with the podcast. Lockdownblackhawks at gmail.com is the email address. You can follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Blackhawks. Follow my personal account at jzawoski670. And, of course, my other hockey podcast, the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, at Madhouse Pod. So lots of ways to get in touch. 5-2 loss to the Arizona Coyotes, and there's really no sugarcoating the way this game went. I don't think it was unexpected. I think when you look at the way the lines are in the in the status of the Blackhawks defense, you knew they were going to give up a lot of chances. And when we talked yesterday, I predicted that the Blackhawks forwards would do a little more to protect the defense. And I did not see that last night. What I saw was uh, a lot of Blackhawks, even the defensemen, cheating up offensively, uh, pinching too deep, and then not recovering. Thomas Mattel, the assistant coach, spoke before the third period and said that himself. He said, our guys are not recovering when they get caught deep. There were so many odd man rushes for the Arizona Coyotes. It was almost unbelievable. And Robin Leonard, who I don't think had a great game, there were a couple goals I'm sure he'd want back. Um, but look, he can't be the the greatest goalie in the world every night. It's understandable um, that he's going to have a rough game here or there. But to, for it to only be 5-2 and they had so many odd man chances is kind of unbelievable. I think a lot of guys had tough nights. Adam Boquist had a really tough night. I don't mind it as much because it's Adam Boquist. He's a young player. He's learning on the job. He's learning what he can and can't get away with. This is the stuff we saw early in the season from Kirby Doc, where he, he would try something here or there, and you'd say, okay, that's probably not something you could do at the NHL level. Yeah, you can do it. Um, you know, in Saskatoon, and Adam Boquist can do it at London or Rockford, but those things don't work in the NHL, and those are learning experiences, and that's why I prefer those two hugely important prospects playing on the NHL level. So I don't mind when those guys make mistakes because I know over time they're going to stop making them. But you had the guys that you were sort of depending on to keep you competitive during this injury streak not do much at all. Pat Foley mentioned it going into the third period. The top two lines had only five shots on goal combined. That's not good enough. And yeah, you got a power play goal from Dylan Strom uh, in the third period. You know, that's great. Jonathan Tave scored. That's a good thing, right? You you want your top guys scoring, but they weren't creating much in, the, in, in opportunities at all. You need those guys who you're paying that big money to to sort of keep things competitive and while I don't think the game was as lopsided as the score suggests it just again the effort didn't feel like it was there and I know that's very easy to see very easy to say when your team is losing and when they're outmatched and they were outmatched and they're going to be outmatched here for the time being until they start to get a little bit healthier here but sometimes you can sort of will yourself by outworking the other team right by winning a board battle by fighting hard for a puck that Dylan Strom's goal is a great example he was standing in front of the net the rebound came out he got cross-checked in the back but he tolerated it 
and put the backhand goal in the net. You've got to fight hard for goals sometimes. The same thing goes for wins. The Blackhawks have to fight harder for these wins. And and this is my fear with the way things are going. The core of this team is not used to being this bad, right? They're not used to struggling as much as they have. Yes, last year there was a stretch of really bad hockey once Jeremy Cowton got hired, but they sort of pulled out of it and they became more competitive, and there were bad games. But overall, I've said it a million times, once the new year flipped, they they were on a 100-point pace, so they started playing better. And yeah, the defense struggled, but they had the offense to keep up. The Hawks' offense lately has been really bad. I think they have, what, 12 goals in their last six games, something like that? That's not going to win. I don't care if you've got you know, f- six Nicholas Lidstrom's back there and Patrick Juan goal, you're not going to win games scoring that that few goals. That That's not going to work. And you've got a lot of guys on this team being paid a lot of money to produce to produce offensively. Alex DeBrinkett had two shots on goal. He was a minus four. Brandon Saad had zero shots on goal, and I'm not going to bag on him because he's had a really good season this year and this is probably the one game where you'd probably say you'd you'd want a little more from him but still he had a breakaway that was broken up still you know created some things offensively with his effort but Patrick Kane's a minus three no points one shot on goal that's not enough and when you look at the body language of some of these guys that's where the concern goes and I and I hate to read into too much of that stuff right uh, guys are frustrated they don't like to lose Patrick Kane's a competitor he doesn't like to lose but they show that wide shot of the Blackhawks bench at the end of the game, and Patrick Kane's got his head in his arms, head down, looking discouraged, looking frustrated. And when you see a guy with that sort of ability have a game as unproductive as he had last night, if that becomes a trend, that's something you have to worry about. And, you know, I called for Jeremy Cowan's job a month ago. I don't think they're going to make a move in season here unless some great opportunity presents itself yesterday a couple people reached out when Pete DeBoer got fired should the Hawks bring him in if you missed Thursday's podcast make sure you go back and listen I talked to the host of Locked On Sharks and he gave me a pretty uh, dismal scouting report of Pete DeBoer and how it would work if he was a Blackhawks coach the only way though I can really see there's two scenarios where I see Calton getting fired if they just lose like eight of ten and it's 5-1, 4-1, 5-2, 5-3 blowout games night after night after night. If that happens, or if there's just a flat-out mutiny and the players actively rebel against Cowton, and we've seen some signs of that early in the year. Brent Seabrook, frustrated. Jonathan Taves, we saw on the bench the other day, seemed to be yelling in the direction of Jeremy Cowton. Again, we don't know exactly what he was saying, but I've never seen Jonathan Taves as visibly frustrated on the bench and on the ice as I've seen him this year. I've never seen that from him before. So, while it's, you know, you can look at this game big picture and say, tough night, Leonard wasn't great, you've got a lot of injuries, and those are all valid. Right, Those are all valid excuses as to why the Blackhawks had the sort of game they had last night. But if this becomes a long-term thing, and when I say long-term, I mean a week or two, 
because they are already falling out of a playoff, any sense of hope for a playoff spot. They're 12, 14, and 6 now. They're four points ahead of the Kings for last in the Western Conference. I just, you know, and of course, the last wild card spot is 37 points, but there's one, two, three, four, five, six teams the Hawks have to jump. And I don't see Vegas or Vancouver or Nashville falling off, right? Maybe Minnesota takes a step back. They're red hot, 6 1 and 3 in their last 10. By the way, the Hawks play them on Sunday after they play the defending cup champion St. Louis Blues on Saturday. But these teams ahead of the Hawks aren't going anywhere. So I don't know. Something's got to give. Uh, and, and hopefully what gives is they start to get healthier and they start get a, and they start to get a little more competitive. It's Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. The Blackhawks lose 5-2 to the Coyotes in Arizona. And like we do after every game, it is time to go over the pluses and minuses. The pluses are going to be difficult to find in this game, truly. Not a great effort from the Blackhawks uh, in any way, shape, or form. I guess I'll give one positive to the power play, who came through on a third-period goal, cutting the Coyotes' lead in half to 4-2. Dylan Strom, right in front, uh, takes the Alex Dabrinka rebound, puts it in on the backhand. Jonathan Taves on the other side, looking for the rebound there. So a positive there from that line on the power play. So there's a positive for the power play. Another positive I'll give to Jonathan Taves, 21-02 of ice time. He had a goal. He was plus one, won 67% of his faceoffs. And uh, the other plus, I, I think Dominic Kublik had a decent game. Some good looks, two shots on goal, two more shot attempts were blocked, another one that was missed. So he was creating some offense, playing on that top line. If you missed the Blackhawks' lines, it was Taves, Saad, Kubelik, Strom, Debrinkit, Kane, Kampf, Smith, Carpenter, Doc, Nylander, Highmore. I want to give another plus to Kirby Doc, who I think had a pretty strong game, a solid game. You saw him controlling the puck for long periods at a time. Only three shot attempts the entire game. One of those was a shot on goal. Um, but just using his size, using his speed, being effective. And I think we're starting to see you know, the next step of Kirby Doc's development come to fruition. He looks more engaged on the ice not like he's thinking so much he's reacting and using his instincts more so hopefully he starts to get the points to show for it a little note on kirby doc by the way the world junior championships are starting soon he could join team canada the blackhawks could allow him to go play for team canada for the world junior championships they have to decide that this weekend so i'd be surprised if it happens based on their injury situation the way they've been playing and the Blackhawks' ultra-awareness of perception from the fans. If they send Kirby Doc to play in the World Junior Championships, it is signaling that they feel that this regular season might be lost a little bit. At least that's how I would see a lot of Hawks fans on the periphery seeing it. They hear this kid was sent away to play in a tournament that doesn't help the team in the league when they're struggling. That could reflect poorly on the team. I get it. I see the benefit of him going to do that, and I think at this point, where the Blackhawks are in the standing, it wouldn't in the standings it wouldn't hurt too much. I'd rather have him play here, but if he goes to play in a World Junior Championships, I'm not going to be furious about it because it's a good learning experience. It's a good growing experience. Him to go play in competitive games that matter, high level, high intensity games 
with with his peers around the league and guys that will be peers in the league soon. I think that would be a good thing for Kirby Doc. All right, let's get to the minuses. First minus of the game, and I hate to do it because he's been so great all year, goes to Robin Leonard. Not a strong performance from him. I would say probably a pair of those goals he'd like to have back. The first and the last goals he gave up, I think, were a little bit soft. There was the uh, Grabner backhand over the shoulder, and then the uh, Clayton Keller roof shot to make it 5-2 Arizona, last goal of the game. Tough saves. Backhanders are tough to save, obviously, but uh, he was a little bit deep in his net on those. But look, with the season Robin Leonard's had, uh, it's, you know, we got to be honest, we got to call it like it was, but... Uh, not mad at Robin Leonard at all because he's been a huge part of the reason the Hawks have been even remotely competitive this entire season. Second minus of the game is going to go to Alex Dabrinkit. Two shots on goal, did pick up an assist, but a minus four, that's just not good enough. It's just not good enough. He's got to be better. He's got to be more effective. Uh, And look, you're not putting that line out there to defend. When we look at the advanced stats, and we will in the uh, down the number line segment next segment, they always, that line is always towards the bottom in possession. They're trying for one-and-done, high-quality scoring chances. And, you know, they'll typically get them, but a minus four is is really, really tough. Not all on Dabrinkit by any means, but you never want to see a minus four in that category. Another minus to me is going to go to Jeremy Cowlton. The way things are going, get some of these young guys out there. Get them some valuable playing time. Kirby Doc played 12-25. He was one of your more effective players. He shouldn't be the fourth-line center. I'm sorry. I've seen enough of David Kampf. He's a guy. David Kampf is a guy. And sure, you might be able to put him out there, and he's not going to hurt you in any way, but you know, there's not much there for him. I'd rather see Doc, even if he struggles, even if Kirby Doc is out there struggling, I like to see Kirby Doc get as many opportunities as he can uh, with quality line mates and with uh, up against quality opponents because playing against good players will help him develop even faster. Uh, another minus, I guess, has to go to Patrick Kane. One shot on goal, a minus three. But again, it's another guy who's been part of the reason the Hawks have been even remotely competitive this year. So a de- definitely a frustrating loss. Uh, I, it just It's starting to feel like, and I'm in this hotel room with my wife, and I just sort of said to her, at what point does it just become the Hawks don't have the talent and they don't have the speed? They don't have the talent to connect on every pass like they did back in the heyday. They don't have the speed to catch up with these speedy young forwards that Arizona has. It's a bad matchup for the Hawks. You know, Keller and Dvorak and all in Hinnestroza was great. Nick Schmaltz had a really good game. Schmaltz had a goal. Didn't Hennestros have three assists? Yeah. Vinny Hennestros had three assists and was a plus three in 12 minutes of ice time. Speed players are killing the Blackhawks. By the way, Clayton Keller, who had two goals for Arizona, had 12 shots on goal. 12 shots on goal. That's incredible. And every shot he took went on goal. (laughs) These speed guys, and teams know this. The way to beat the Blackhawks is by using your speed. You saw Arizona utilizing those stretch passes. How about the stretch pass, by the way, from Jordan Osterley to set up the breakaway goal from Keller, Keller's first goal of the game? Unreal. The Hawks' defense had no answers for Arizona's speed, and there's not really going to be any answers coming. Your fast defenseman are Duncan Keith. He's hurt. 
Adam Boquist, who is learning on the job, and that's about it. Time to go down the number line here on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Whenever we go down the number line, we use our friends at Natural Stat Trick. If you are not well-versed on the metrics of hockey, they're not overly complicated. It really just measures shot attempts and things like that. So go to Natural Stat Trick, check out the page on The Athletic. I link both of those uh, pages that sort of explain advanced statistics in every description of every Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. So go click on the description, and those links will take you there, and you can sort of learn about this stuff on your own. But again, it's not really complicated. In typical NHL fashion, they have goofy names that make them seem a lot more complicated than they are. (laughs) It's really just measuring shot attempts. That's it. That's really all it is. So let's take a look at the shot attempts for this game. The Blackhawks, once again, had a slight, the slightest, of advantages in possession they had 50 shot attempts for and allowed 49 against that is a 50.51 percent Corsi percentage they have been winning the possession battle lately it's been kind of a switch now they were outshot significantly 40 to 29 but as far as attempts they had more now here's where it gets a little bit deeper high danger scoring chances for the blackhawks had five Arizona had 14. That's the difference, right? Yeah, shot attempts can be any attempt towards the net from the point through a screen, whatever. It doesn't measure the quality. High danger chances measures quality, and the Hawks were destroyed in that category, 14 to 5. Arizona with a 74 to 26 advantage in high danger scoring chances. That is not a formula for success, and I don't care how well Robin Leonard plays he's not going to be able to hang and and put up much of a fight when they're giving up 14 high-danger scoring chances against. That's that's nearly impossible. When we look at the team leaders, the individuals in Corsi performance, this might surprise you a little bit. Number one on the Blackhawks with a 62.5 Corsi 4 percentage was Adam Boquist. 15 shot attempts for, 9 against with Boquist on the ice. Now, again, these numbers are all five-on-five even strength. So it does not include, uh, you know, four-on-four or shorthanded or power play time. So keep that in mind whenever you hear me going over these numbers. Second on the team, 60% was David Kampf. Six shot attempts, four, four against. Again, David Kampf is just sort of a low outcome player. Not a lot happens when he's on the ice. And if you want to put a guy out there and have him prevent any action from happening on either end, he can do that for you. Dominic Kubalik, who I mentioned in the pluses segment, uh, 58.06, Corsi 4 percentage, 18 shot attempts for, 13 against with him on the ice. And Patrick Kane with a rare uh, over 50%, 54.84, 17 attempts for, 14 against. The following players were over 50%, Matthew Highmore, Dennis Gilbert, Brandon Saad, Jonathan Taves, Alex Nylander, Doc, Mata, and Gustafson. Those four all at exactly 50%. The worst on the team, Zach Smith, 42-11 in percentage, eight shot attempts for 11 again. So when you look at these advanced stats, they're not terrible. They're really not. I, you know, but that again, I say this every show that these are just sort of indicators on how things have gone. What really matters is, obviously, the final score, which is 5-2 in favor of the Coyotes, the 
40 to 29 shot on goal advantage and of course the high danger scoring chances those are the ones that uh really can kind of dictate how the game should go the other one is expected goals for so it's per 60 minutes uh it, the coyotes were 2.46 the hawks were 1.67 uh, that's a big advantage for the Coyotes. It's a 60-40 advantage there for the Coyotes. So uh, not a great game, uh, despite what some of the metrics say. By the way, a minute ago I mentioned Dennis Gilbert, and earlier this week we spent a lot of time discussing whether or not he should have dropped the gloves after Alex DeBrinca got hit. And I was against it because, look, the Hawks are a team that's struggling. They're a team that definitely needs wins. And they had a 3-2 lead at the time. And then all of a sudden, Gilbert gets the instigator, which is a 10-minute misconduct. Then he gets the two-minute penalty as well. And the Hawks are then tied up, and they end up losing the game. This was also to Arizona, if you recall. That was Sunday. How about this, though? When Richardson is taking swats at Dylan Strom at the end of the game, it's 5-2. Brad Richardson is taking liberties with one of the guys that actually played well for the Hawks. There's only a few minutes left. Maybe that's when you put Dennis Gilbert out on the ice. Maybe that's when you, air quotes, send your message. Not when you're up a goal, when your penalty kill sucks. No. Late in the game, the game's out of hand, and the guy's messing with one of your star players. If you think fighting does anything at all, maybe that's the time you send him out there. I don't know. It, seems, it just seems common sense to me. And I know the, the NBC Sports Chicago t- broadcast team ran a poll ahead of the Vegas game. Did Dennis Gilbert do the right thing? And 96% of the people watching said yes. And I sort of made the joke that that just sort of proves that I'm right, <laughs> which is a little bit snarky, I admit. But if you believe in that, if you think fighting is the way to deter your opponents from taking liberties on your star players, why not use one end of the game down big Dylan Strom getting pushed around that's when you send Dennis Gilbert over the boards to send a message to Brad Richardson or if he's not out there maybe Dennis Gilbert puts a hit on one of the, one of uh, Arizona star players maybe he hits Nick Schmaltz maybe he hits Clayton Keller that's the time to do it if there's a time at all that's the time to do it. Not when you're up a goal, when your penalty kill's terrible, and you need every point you can get. That's not when you go take an instigator in a misconduct. These are the sort of things that, and look, Gilbert's a young player. Maybe he'll learn his lesson. The problem is that anyone involved in hockey is telling him it's the right thing to do. And maybe it's me. Maybe I'm wrong. And I'll, I will allow for that. But I think just... Anyone with a brain would tell you you don't want to take your team down a defenseman for 10 minutes and put them on the penalty kill when you're fighting for your playoff life. That, to me, is a bad idea. But when it's 5-2 and someone's messing with Dylan Strom, there you go. There's your opportunity to stand up for a teammate and, quote, do the right thing. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you are in the northern burbs... Uh, or if you're anywhere close to Wisconsin, 670 The Score is broadcasting at the Brat Stop today uh, from 5 a.m. until 6 p.m. So if you're in the area, come out to the Brat Stop in Kenosha. Come and say hello. 
Uh, it's going to be a good time. We're out there with Molly and Haw, Bernstein and McKnight, the show I produce. So I'll be out there, uh, Lawrence Holmes and then McNeil and Parkins. So coming out, get ready for Bears Packers with 670 to score and talk some Hawks with me because I'll be sitting there just watching the shows. Thank you for listening to Lockdown Blackhawks. Thanks for hanging with us this week. This is episode 54, which has to be a good omen going into Bears Packers, right? The Erlacher number. <sighs> Let's hope. Let's hope. Anyway, we will talk to you Monday with two back-to-back games to break down. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. My name is Jay Zawoski. Thanks for listening to Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.